Tortious interference, Melissa. The phrase of the day. Billable hours, baby. Billable we hours. Just, we just America, both 350 bucks. America needs another lawyer, as Wide Right Natty Light would say. America needs to know what football fans need to know what torturous, torturous interference is. That's the term. Add it to the long list of things we all think we know about, right? It's, it it's the new HIPAA. It's the HIPAA of the SEC. It is the HIPAA of the SEC. Tortious interference. Layman's definition. Meddling in shit that you're not supposed to meddle in. <laughs> well done. Shout out to ESPN. Uh, this is the Frogs of War podcast, by the way. I am James. It is Paulette. not illegal. Yeah, it is not a legal show no. tonight. I am Melissa Trebowasser. I am. Lawyer. I am not a lawyer either. America needs another lawyer, and we are not available uh, for that. But we are here to talk about more Big Twelve realignment. The flamethrower that Bob Bowlesby took to ESPN today, uh, and then he made the rounds talking to the Athletic, Sports Illustrated, Associated Press. CBS Sports, just a few smaller sports websites, um, sports organizations, to talk about yeah. uh, the backstabby nature of the worldwide leader. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk a little bit about football because if you didn't know, fall camp starts for TCU next week. And so we're going to talk a little bit about expectations and big questions and players to watch. There, um, there will be a Big 12 conference this season. That That is without a doubt. It might so, be the last one. So we got to enjoy it while we can because this may be, this may be the last go-round for, for the conference as we know it. Or maybe not. We just don't true. know yet. We just don't know. So we're going to talk a little bit about realignment. Then we'll take a quick break uh, because of hashtag ad. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about fall fall football and we will wrap it up with all of your twitter and facebook questions melissa i posed i i asked our facebook audience to give us questions for tonight as well i saw i saw that um i was and, checking uh, the message that said hey f stick yeah um, that's a you know that's a phrase that i have not <laughs> encountered in quite some time so i, I was lot, i was on but... one hand i was thankful that yeah. it's making a comeback because it really truly deserves to on the other hand um I didn't really like it being directed at us, so. Yeah, especially when it was about A and M. Where we haven't mentioned A and M, one bit. No. Who? Not one bit. Uh, in the last couple weeks, at least, at least yeah. since baseball at season's least. been over. At least. Um, but let's dive right in, Melissa. Let's let's catch everyone up to date on what has been going on in the world of conference realignment over the last week. Really, truly, the last twenty-four hours have been the most chaotic. Um, but since we last recorded, Texas and Oklahoma officially reached out to the SEC and asked to be um, invited to the Southeast Conference starting July 1st, 2025. They said that this was the start of a long process that they had been having conversations about. Uh, which is a lie. They've been having this conversation since December, at least. Other reports have been have uh, since revealed. Um, and that long process took all of, like, five hours before the SEC responded and said that they would consider um, inv- extending an invitation to Texas and Oklahoma. And lo and behold, they have a vote scheduled for Thursday. Today, if you're listening to this podcast, most likely. 
Um, that's a, not a really the longest of processes. It feels like things might have already started to fall in place prior to that. Fast forward to Wednesday of this week, and everybody's been talking about the ways that the Big 12 might disband prior to 2025 if Texas and Oklahoma want to get out of their grant of rights, and we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. They'd did, they did each have to pay $76 million as a part of their buyout clause. That would get them out of the conference by 2023. The only way that they could get out of the conference prior to 2023 would be through the Big 12 dissolving. And I wrote about this a little bit on the site this week. The way that that would work is the Big 12 bylaws essentially require the conference members to have a 75% yay vote to dissolve the conference, which would require at this point eight teams. So if Texas and Oklahoma want to get to the Big 12 by 2022, they've got to have some buddies in crime to get out of the conference as well to vote to dissolve the Big 12. And then that brings us to the events of Wednesday of this week, where the Big 12 sends a cease and desist letter to ESPN. And I'm going to go ahead and just read it because it's absolutely wild. The language in this, the language that Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 use today is some of the most intense and direct language I've ever seen between a conference and one of its rights partners, uh, TV rights partners. Uh, it's been absolutely wild. Here is the full letter uh, from the Big 12 to ESPN. To uh, Burke Magnus, the president of programming and original content for ESPN Incorporated. Dear Burke, it has come to my direct attention that ESPN, the current business partner of the Big 12 Conference, has taken certain actions that are intended to not only harm the Big 12 Conference, but to result in financial benefits for ESPN. Setting aside ESPN's potential involvement in the recent announcement by the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma that they intend to leave the Big 12 Conference in 2025, as to which we reserve all legal rights, I am aware that ESPN has also been actively engaged in discussions with at least one other conference regarding the conference inducing additional members of the Big 12 Conference to leave said Big 12 Conference. As you know, our members have entered into contractual obligations to the Big 12 Conference under the amended and restated agreement related to the grant to the conference of the rights to televise their athletic events, the Grant of Rights Agreement. The action noted above are an apparent attempt to interfere with and to induce our members to breach these contractual obligations to the conference and to encourage further conference realignment for the financial benefit of ESPN. Further, as you also know, Section 20.2C of the amended, re of, of the amended, the restated agreement between the Big 12 Conference and ESPN states that ESPN will not take any actions likely to impair or that are inconsistent with the rights conference has acquired under this agreement. ESPN acknowledges that conferences' rights herein are valuable, specific, and unique. ESPN's recent actions also violate, at minimum, Section 20.2C of the telecast agreement. The Big 12 Conference demands that ESPN immediately cease and desist all actions that may harm the conference and its members, and that it may not communicate with the Big 12 Conference's existing members or any other NCAA conference regarding the Big 12 Conference's members, possible conference realignment, or potential financial incentives or outcomes related to possible conference realignment. The Big 12 Conference reserves and will enforce all of its rights under the Grant of Rights Agreement and the Telecast Agreement to the full extent of the law and will not allow its business to be interfered with by its business partners or others. 
please provide the Big 12 Conference with your written assurances that all such actions will immediately cease and desist by noon central time on July 29th, 2021. Sincerely, Robert A. Bowlesby II, Commissioner. And then, Bob Bowlesby talks to the Associated Press and says, I have absolute certainty they, ESPN, have been, involving in, have been involved in manipulating other conferences to go after our members. This whole thing has been a complete articulation of deception. And Bowlesby tells the Associated Press that ESPN is incentivizing other conferences to destabilize the Big 12 so Oklahoma and Texas can get out of paying their buyout to the conference. He told Max Olson of The Athletic this, and this is where we get into it. The collaboration between and among ESPN and conferences to undermine the Big 12 is a tortious interference with our business. It is so incredibly rare for a sitting commissioner to accuse a partner that gives hundreds of millions of dollars to the conference every single year of tortious interference. Melissa, when you saw all of this happening, what what was your reaction as our many um, group messages on Twitter started to blow up? Yeah, um, I mean, my first reaction was, nice play, Bob. Too bad they've already packed up the chessboard and left. But uh, I, I like the strong move. Um, it just, it's the horse is out of the barn, um, so to speak. I think that you have to come strong. Bob Bowlesby's obviously making moves at this point to save his job and the only way he saves his job is if he comes up with a power play that saves the big 12 and keeps that tv deal you know in the 20 plus strong 20 plus million dollar annually it's it's not going to touch 38 million dollars a year without texas and oklahoma but if you can promise your schools 20 22 maybe they they feel like they've landed um but he got caught with his pants down so now he he's the kid that you know, gets pants in the middle of the playground and then goes around all the all the vulnerable kids on his way out and, and tries to make, make them look bad so that he looks better. I mean, that's what this feels like to me. I don't think it's going to end up anywhere. It's a ballsy move, and it gets everybody fired up, but it doesn't accomplish anything at the end of the day. Uh, kind of like what uh, Drew, our friend Drew Davidson of the Star-Telegram reported shortly before we went on that um, TCU, along with officials from Texas Tech and Baylor, have all met with Greg Abbott talk mm-hmm. about the financial impact like again you've got to do it it's a move you have to make but is it going to change anything i mean there's there's just no way in it worst case scenario when the grant of rights deal is up in 2025 there's really nothing you can do to keep those schools there mm-hmm. i mean you can't you can't force their hand and so you're you're saving the the sinking ship just to just to say you've still got a boat and i just don't know if that's ultimately gonna gonna be a solution um it's fascinating um, from a sports media perspective, from a future college football perspective. I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. Um, the, the sport is dead. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that. Um, you know, if y'all like Jamie has brought us the rational facts and I've brought the emotional um, impact over the last <laughs> week, I think. And um, I just don't see a way that college football as we know it survives this. Um, it, it's been, like one of my favorite parts of this has been all these these Texas fans who 
um, first of all, all the Texas fans like asking about a four seasons press conference and comparing this note, the my pillow guy, most of whom probably believe the my pillow guy, but, um, uh, um, but, uh, you know, just to see, to see them all coming out, like say, oh, you're going to have your four seasons sort of landscaping moment, um, was kind of funny. And then, then also just the, the impact of these fans who, you know, so loyally support their university and so excited about going to the SEC, not realizing the fact that they're the ones that are going to get priced out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is not this move is about nothing more than maximizing financial opportunity for the University of Texas, the University of Oklahoma, and the schools already in the SEC, and the power brokers in college football. And you and I have both been to big bowl games. When have you ever seen the average fan in the lower bowl? Never. It's all corporate, corporate corporate sponsors and and people associated and, with the team and all this move does is ensure that those people keep moving down and down the down closer to the field mm-hmm. and the rest of us keep getting pushed up out of the stadium yeah. um this is this is this is bad uh you guys might think it's great now but uh, I, I don't know that the game as we know it recovers from this and and i don't know what that means for schools like tcu and, and oklahoma state and iowa state 10 15 20 years down the road but I can promise you, I don't think we'll ever get to enjoy the college football that we know and love then like we get to now. Yeah, you know, I I think there's something to that. I think there's something sentimental about regional matchups and rivalries and continuing, uh, you know, matchups for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Um, You know, I, I think there's something to that. I also think that I th- I think that in the long run it is a good idea at least in theory to try and make college football a more national sport because I think it is very regional right now um, and I talked about this a little bit with the wide right Natty Light folks uh, yesterday in their nightcap uh, stream but I think the I think when you get more matchups like Texas, Florida, like Ohio State, Penn State, like USC, Oregon, but they are further across the country. So if it was more like USC, Penn State, or Oklahoma, Ohio State, or Oregon, Florida State, that puts college football in a different position than it has been previously especially with the way that tv is working now the restructuring of of viewership uh where people are more selective about what they're watching um i think that uh it's good for the overall brand of college football again in theory for it to start to nationalize a little bit more it's a touchy word these days but um (laughs) But that does mean, but that does mean that someone's going to get left behind, because smaller brands won't be as attractive in that scenario, and so you're losing us and Baylor and Tech and Oklahoma State and Kansas State, and there are there are going to be some um, casualties. But I think in theory, it's a good idea. In practice, though, we're seeing the reality of that idea bearing out right now. But but. Aren't we already there? Aren't the already the top twenty, the blue blood programs already national brands? Isn't that why SEC is going for Texas? I mean, is is giving Ohio State 
more matchups going to be what ultimately brings more eyeballs to the sport? Because I don't think that's it. I think if you want to bring more of a national uh, interest to the sport, the way that you do that is you create more interest in the the, the local programs. I mean, look at what the success of a Boise State did in the early 2000s to draw interest. Look at what it's, it's when those teams beat the Blue Bloods that people tune in. Um, I, I've seen a couple of comments across different places uh, about how when my team's winning, I watch every single game on a Saturday. When my team's not in- invested, I don't really care what else is going on. Um, maybe you pick up some of the NFL fans that will tune in to watch Ohio State and Florida play or will tune in to watch Alabama and, and Oklahoma play on a Saturday in October. But I don't, I don't know if this is ultimately to grow the brand of college football. I think it's to throw all of your gold ducats into one place and just invest strongly. Because if you look at the conference that's leading the charge here, it's in a already, it's in a, a region of the country that's already completely and totally football obsessed. Mm-hmm. And it's full of schools for the most part that are in college towns where the game is the only thing going and it's the biggest show in town. Um, it's it's the places like TCU that's in a, a metropolitan area that has a lot of other options. It's it's USC that's in Los Angeles where when USC is good, LA is a hundred percent bought in. When they're not, nobody really cares. Um, it, it's those types of places that I think are lacking. And I don't know that that playing a school like Tennessee or Vanderbilt or University of South Carolina is really going to change the way that people tune in more so than if you just said we're going to take the top 12 names and they're just going to play around robin every week that's that's going to be it like if that's what you want to build a brand on a national scale then you take clemson ohio state alabama oklahoma texas uh florida uh michigan i don't know if i I don't know if i can get to 12 but you get you take 12 teams that uh are, are the best the the biggest blue blood brand names in the country and those teams form a conference and that's it. Like, I think that's the only way you accomplish that goal if that's your ultimate goal. And, you know, I, I hear that. I, I agree with a large portion of what you just said. I think too that um, that might be where we're headed. You know, there were rumors starting uh, this week as well about the Big Ten poaching Oregon and USC from the Pac-12. Um, and <clears throat> so I, I don't think, I, I don't think region matters anymore um it is all about matchup and so i think i don't think realignment is even close to done uh and we could even see uh maybe the someone even threw out the idea that what if the big 10 and this might have been you in the podcast last week the big 10 and the acc jettison the lower half of both of those conferences and then bring together clemson and virginia tech and florida state and miami and Duke in North Carolina with Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan and Michigan State. Um, Like, you know, there's nothing that really, other than current TV contracts, that's stopping those schools from from doing that. Um, And I don't know that that's, I I, I don't know that that's inevitable, but I think that that could be a future reality. It was really interesting. Um, I know this has kind of been making the rounds. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dan Levitard show. And, and yesterday, John Skipper, who is kind of their, the CEO of Metal Arc Media, um, which is what Levitard's show jettisoned to um, or created once they left ESPN. Um, and Skipper ran ESPN for a really long time and was in charge of the network while the Longhorn Network thing was going on and is responsible for um, kind of instigating that and mm-hmm. is behind the scene. Um, it's, it's hour two of the Tuesday show. 
um, if you're looking for it. Um, but listen to that after you listen to this. Um, but to hear his his behind the scenes of how they were pulling the strings and how the Longhorn Network came to be and how they owe uh, you know 160 million to the Longhorn Network, which is enough to pay the out fees for the Big 12, blah blah blah. And then at the end of it as they were talking about kind of the future of college uh, sports and the way that the leagues could develop, this man has the gall or, or maybe, or maybe just the relatability to say um, in ACC, well, we don't want to lose North Carolina and Duke. That's one of the most important rivalries in, in college sports. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you understand. Cause he went to UNC. Like you went to Carolina, you get it. You would, you would throw the biggest fit in the face of the planet. If the, if Duke said, or UNC said, I'm going to the SEC because it would kill that rivalry. But then you're the one behind the scenes pulling the strings to make sure that that happens. I mean, this is the thing that makes, and and I get like the regional thing and blah, blah, blah. And Texas doesn't think TCU is its rival because you know, we're not that important. We just keep kicking their ass. It's fine, whatever. But, but there is something special to building a community around um around a common a common goal or a common enemy and and i don't remember where i saw it but um somebody talking about uh you know all i i care about these games because this these are where my coworkers go to school and i like to be able to have that thing about them and and you know burn orange nation which f those guys this week i'm so over not all I, not all really no them, gerald guy. gerald's one great guy. and kyle's great oh, there's like three but yeah. but really one guy um but uh the um uh they think well we're gonna have more rivalries more traditional rivals in the sec than we do in the big 12 is just completely ignoring you know that the the last 10 years of uh losing to these Mm -hmm. teams and not willing to look at tcu as a rival because they're so arrogant and full of themselves as opposed to saying man, this football program has really gotten the better of us. This has become a really important game. I mean, they bowed out of the Thanksgiving matchup because they didn't want to lose to us every Thanksgiving on their home field. Uh, it's just that the way they're talking out of both sides of their mouth about these types of things is is why I think it's been such an emotional, uh, you know, kick in the stomach for so many college football fans, especially those of, of the eight teams that are kind of shell-shocked at the way this all went down. Yeah. I do think um... – that there's a legitimate section of the TCU fan base too that is relatively apathetic about what has been going on in the last week. Sure, um, I've seen a little bit of it, and and I can I can understand that sentiment as well, um, simply because it's you know TCU's been in this position before, uh, where they have they are at risk of being on the outside looking in. Uh, we know how it happened the last time. Um, we know that. Uh, the programs, uh, especially football and baseball, um, are in a good position to find success, even if they don't end up in a power what would be now four conference. Um, and I can understand. I can understand uh, why Texas and Oklahoma are doing this in the first place. Sure. Um, you know, financially, it is a windfall, even for two incredibly wealthy universities. Uh, and do, do what's in your own best interest, right? Like, nobody's going to criticize me or you for going to a new job and taking a race. Um, and so I'm not necessarily going to criticize Texas and Oklahoma for doing what's in their best financial interest. How we do things is really important. You remember yeah. when LeBron made the announcement because yeah. he was going the to decision. Miami? The decision. Yeah. It's like, he could have just said, I'm signing with Miami. It gives me a good chance to win. And been done with it. And everyone would have said, Oh, that 
you know, that makes sense. Cleveland would have still been pissed because Cleveland was going to be pissed no matter what. But all this pomp and circumstance and having the Boys and Girls Club of America sitting behind him along with, like, 52 th- cases of vitamin water or whatever else was back there. Hey, and he did uh, raise a million dollars, though. He did. And and great, he's a great philanthropist. He's done a lot of tremendous, tr- incredibly good things. And I think even he would say that he would do things differently. Oh, yeah, he has. Um, he has. Yeah. You know, but it, it's about how we go about doing the thing that is almost as important as the choice that we're making in the first place. Well... I do want to do want to kind of punch back on you on one point though. We aren't. This is not the same place. We have not been here before because when you talk about the journey through the WAC and Conference USA and the Mountain West, this was about a road to respectability. This wasn't about we've hit the windfall and now it's all going to go away. I mean, look at what's happened the last ten years to TCU athletics, not named TCU football. Look at the investment in the new stadium. That comes because we joined a Power Five conference. It's really easy to get people to open up the wallets when you're playing with the big boys. Look at what has happened with TCU soccer. That investment has come because of the way that money has flowed into TCU athletics from these new TV deals. Uh, Beach volleyball is a new sport that's been created. Equestrian has had more opportunities. Rifle has had more opportunities. All these sports that have found success outside of football have had that success because of the doors that have been opened by being a part of the Big 12 Conference. Uh, Tennis, TCU Tennis is is a huge beneficiary of this. And so you cannot say that TCU Athletics Department is a school that received $38 million million in rest the last non-COVID year for their department. And then next year or two years or four years, we're gonna go back to the Mountain West or we're gonna go to the AAC and we're gonna get 12 million. How do you make up for for a loss that you've come to expect of that of tens of millions of dollars? I don't care who we play. I don't care what conference we play in. I don't. I'll play on a Tuesday night. Like that stuff doesn't bother me whatsoever. What I'm thinking about is, what happens to those beach volleyball athletes? What happens to TCU soccer? Can you hold Eric Bell if you're down in the AAC? You don't think every David Raditi? You don't think people are going to come calling for these guys and gals and these people that have built these programs and, and made themselves into elite competitors in one of the top conferences in the country? The the the, the who we play matters not, but the trickle-down effect of this is going to completely change the complexity of TCU athletics for the next two, three, four decades. Uh, look at the academics. I know we're not an elite academic university, whatever, but the amount of, of applications, the way applications have soared, and they began soaring before the Big 12 announcement. Like that, that goes without saying because TC was successful, but the type of students that you're attracting, the amount of of aid that you're able to give because of the amount of students that you're attracting in, the the way that you can not pick and choose just based on academics, but you can build a more well-rounded, more diverse student body. These things are all impacted by being in a power five, having that power five status. And Mm -hmm. so I don't care who we play, but I do, I I am very, very concerned and fearful about the trickle-down effect for the rest of the university both in the athletics program and around the campus as a whole. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying as far as the, the financial windfall. Uh, but the reason that TCU ended up in the WAC was because the Southwest Conference broke up. Yeah. And because other schools made good financial decisions for them. Uh, and it resulted in, there was a little politicking as well. Shout out to Ann Richards. But there was, you know, TCU was, was left out in the cold. Um, and so the way that TCU ended up in the WAC is what we're in the middle of right now, I think. Uh, and so the finances obviously are completely different because TV rights and contracts are completely different. Uh, money is just, the numbers are just bigger now. Um, but <clears throat> you can't tell me that the non-football programs didn't suffer 
as well when we were in the WAC and when we were in Conference USA and when we were, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, to quote Matthew McConaughey, time is a flat circle, Melissa. And we're just, we're, we're facing the same, we're facing similar challenges in a different era is what I'll say. Um, but you wrote, but, but uh, we, but we had the money. We never had the money before. We've got the money now. Like that's to me is the thing. We never had to make these types of decisions because it was never an option. Yeah. And that to me is the biggest thing is, is, you know, I, I took, I've taken a pay cut before. I've taken them multiple times to chase, to chase dreams that I love. There's a lot big a difference between living off of, you know, $38 million a year and, and living off of 15. Like that, that's just to me is, and there's not that much of a difference between living off of four and living off of three. Yeah. You know, like that, that to me is what I'm really interested to see is just the financial aspects of that. But that's, yeah. but I think, but I think we've, we've covered that. We've covered that point. Well. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, we do need to talk a little bit about the PAC 12 because mm-hmm. lucky enough for us, their media days were yesterday mm-hmm. and today. And so the Pac-12 commissioner, George, I'm gonna uh-huh. I'm gonna butcher his name, so we're just gonna call him George K. No, I can mm-hmm. do this. Where did it go? George Klyavkov. 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 Mm-hmm. George yes. K. Uh, so he came out yesterday, and obviously, being the commissioner and with all of this conference realignment stuff breaking, he got asked, you know, what's uh, the Pac-12 going to do? about conference realignment and the possible the possibility of expanding um and he essentially said that uh, expansion opportunities are going to be a priority for the pac-12 he went on to say that that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to choose to expand but they're going to address the opportunity quickly it's going to be a top priority for them i think he understands and he went on to say this and i watched a little bit of his interview um he went on to talk about how uh, it should be an expectation that the Pac-12 is consistently competing for a national championship. He wants to get away from this idea of that conference parity, bless you, that conference parity is good, uh, which was kind of the, the thought under the last uh, commissioner of the Pac-12. He wanted parity. He wanted a lot of um, equal challenges and that kind of stuff, even, even footed games and everything. George K is just like, no, I want us to be good. I want us to compete at the highest level. Parity be damned. Uh, and so I, I, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what the Pac-12 does in the next couple of days, especially after the SEC votes on uh, kind of affirming their stance to to invite Texas and, and Oklahoma to the Big Twelve. So that's going to be a fourteen and zero vote, by the way. I know everybody it is. thinks I mean, it's well, going to be a fourteen and zero. Well, sure, because Texas A&M's Board of Regents gathered today, and there it was an eight to one vote to vote tomorrow in favor of expanding. Uh, there was one one lone Aggie who fell on his sword so that it Good wouldn't be him. a unanimous vote to let Texas in. Um, you know, you know what's really interesting though about this Pac-12 situation is that the, the commissioner now, Georgie, as we call him, um, this is a, a businessman. This is an executive. This is a guy who spent time in sports media, so he's going to get the bigger picture. And and that's why, as much as there's a part of me going, don't get your hopes up that the Pac-12 is going to invite TCU because it's not a probability and it might not even be a re- realistic maybe. Um, this man understands the way that the media landscape is turning and knows that for every new state that he gets a footprint in, that is more money for his conference members. And so it makes a ton of sense to expand to Texas and to Oklahoma and wherever else and i know that everyone's saying well they won't take a religious school they won't take a religious school listen 
principals are lovely and wonderful, but when you're a conference on the brink and you just brought in a new commissioner to stabilize yourself financially and on the national and with per, uh, perception, then you can make some exceptions without having to completely rewrite your your rule book in order to accept a, a TCU or and we've talked about this before and it makes me want to vomit to say it, or an SMU um, in order to get your foot in the door in a state that has a ton of very highly interested college football eyeballs mm-hmm. um, and to get you more opportunities to play in the central time zone, which is a huge carrot for the Pac-12, a massive carrot from a, from a, a scheduling perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I put a poll out on Twitter today because I, I thought that uh, it would just be fun to see what people were thinking about which team has the better chance to get into the Pac-12 should an invitation be extended. And I let it, I, I set it between Baylor and Houston um, because I think it's safe to say that if the Pac-12 extends invitations, the first two schools that are getting invitations are Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. That's where I think they're going to start. I think the next four schools that would be under consideration are Kansas State, TCU, Baylor, and random fourths. Could be BYU, could be Boise State, could be SMU or Houston. I think it would be Houston because of the size of the school, the size of the market, uh, recent success in football and in basketball, um, a very good kind of general sports profile. And so I thought, okay, well, of those four, Kansas State's probably actually at the bottom of the list. They just don't have a lot of athletic depth. Yeah. They're not a very good academic school. They're not in a major market. Um, so that's all right. TCU, Baylor, and, and Houston. TCU, great market. A lot of athletic depth. We'll call them good because we're biased. And now we're down to Baylor and Houston. Uh, there's 17 hours left on this poll. 165 votes so far. 60% of people are saying Houston to 40% Baylor. Uh, and so I said, tell me why in the comments. And uh, a lot of people are saying alumni base, um, market of Houston versus Waco. Um, if, he, if One person, Josh Davis, says, if Houston had been on a Big 12 budget for as long as TCU to say nothing of Baylor, they could be serious contenders. It was in UT's interest to assure that they didn't get there. Um, a lot of people were just saying Houston. Uh, and I think it's really close, but it was a really fun kind of thought experiment to put out there into the Twitterverse. Okay, walk me through this. Um, I understand size, and I understand being the most, most westernmost state of the options, or mm-hmm. in the westernmost place of the options. Um, why do people jump to the conclusion that Texas Tech would be one of the first schools on the list? Um, state school. Um, is that, but huge, is that what the, is that what the Pac-12 wants? I don't know. I, I think huge alumni base. I think you look at their recent success in basketball and baseball. They uh, lost their coach in basketball. Football potential. They did lose their coach, but we don't know how that's going to impact them mm-hmm. quite yet. Um, academically, they're not a bad academic school. They're not the best, but they're not awful. Uh, they're better than Arizona State. Well, sure. Academically, right? But so, so are we're most talking high about, schools. We're talking about low academic standards here. Uh, and they're completely non-religious. Uh, you know, so if, if that's still even remotely an issue for the Pac-12, which I think you're right, uh, principles be damned at a time like this, um, that's why I think they kind of start inching closer and closer to the top of the list. Yeah, I, I, it'll be really interesting. I think that 
if you if you assume that they're going to be willing to make some sacrifices on their stance on religious universities and you're not looking at a tcu or even a baylor that's going to make the same kind of demands that byu is like if right. there's not the sunday rules there's, there's none of those types of things um mm -hmm. baylor still has some language um and some of their student handbooks that probably needs to be addressed tcu as far as i'm aware and i could be wrong on this does not share those types of sentiments um that would be a big hold up for baylor i think um mm -hmm. but when you when you look at tcu as a quote-unquote religious university other than they're, they're still having a connection um, to the Disciples of Christ, right? Disciples of Christ, DLC, mm -hmm. yeah. Then I always get that in church. Um, you nailed it. Thank you, proud. Uh, but it's not, it, I don't think that would be a, a serious hurdle. Um, when you look at, you know, the, the academic investment, um, again, this is not an elite school, but it's also, it's not anything, you know, it's, it's on, the, on par with the vast majority of schools in the Pac-12. Um, I think they, I don't know if they want to add more private schools from an eyeballs perspective, but also it does kind of fit with their vibe. Um, and you have so many students from California at TCU right now. It has to be a good draw. Plus you're right next to an airport. Getting to Lubbock is a pain in the ass. Sure. And when you're talking about coming from uh, Washington State or University of Washington for a Wednesday night volleyball game, like those types of things probably do matter. Um, especially when you're looking at the budget crunches um, of the public California universities, um, for sure is, is definitely an issue. But uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. I'm still, like I said, I'm not sold that the Pac-12 is going to be in any hurry to expand. I think that the best case scenario right now is the Big 12 holds on for dear life. It maybe brings in four kind of life raft teams mm -hmm. just to get you through the 2025 um, expiration. And at that point, it's every man for themselves. And what's going to be so, so funny about this is the way that these other eight schools from the administrators, the athletic directors to the site managers of the SB Nation sites have banded together of like, we're going down with the ship, baby. The minute any one of us gets a life raft though, you got to take it. Like, yeah, you, do. you have to, and, and I'm not going to be mad at any of these remaining mm -hmm. eight schools, like West Virginia, go get your ACC invite. I will be I hope they get invited. if Baylor gets into the Pac-12 and we don't, I'll be inconsolable of smu does but at the end of the day right now um you gotta you gotta sell the the party line and we're all in this together and hope for god you get to leave like yeah. that's that's where we're at and i'm okay I, with I it i totally yeah. agree i totally agree uh you know you wrote a really interesting article uh for the the midweek musings this week about chris del conte you've gotten a lot of uh, we'll call it feedback on that article baby uh, monkey thought, ass is back in it baby Let's go. yeah you know that is absolutely westcott's burner account there's no doubt <laughs> in my mind but uh so i just we a little bit of time before we take a break and then transition to talk about tcu football give us a synopsis of that article uh and after the events of today do you have any revisions that you would like to make uh, you know, you're the second person that's made a comment of, of after the events of today, what I want to revise things. And I, and I don't think that I do. Um, I made that comment I, because I saw the, the tweet. That's why I said Yeah, it. yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. So it's this was a midweek music. This was not a journalistic piece. This was not a straight up. Uh, these are the facts. This was a this is how I feel. Um, and again, I've been covering the emotional side of realignment for TCU fans here for the last week, but um, mm -hmm. I 100%, first of all, do not blame Chris Del Conte. Uh, he is doing the job he was paid to do, uh, and he is doing the job he was paid to do exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. um, that's why they 100% hired him to open this door. 100%. That's why. This man came to TCU. He did. He pulled us up, kicking and screaming to the big boys' table um, to get his resume 
you know, fluffed up and he was exceptional at that. And he's exceptional at Texas. And I don't know where you go from here. That's higher than UT, but um, he's, he's done what he's, what he came to do. It just, you can't admit it doesn't hurt a little bit. Uh, mm. This is a man who time and time again, told fans, I've got the best job in the world. I have no interest in leaving. And you know, damn well, he was prepping his resume the entire time, just hoping for a call from a Texas or an Oklahoma or an Alabama and good for him. I've no, mm-hmm. I've no problem. Just like I want to pay the players, like pay or you know let the play, players market themselves and make money. I want to, I want so should administrators and coaches. That's part of the deal. Um, but just the, uh, the it, it does feel a little bit like getting stabbed in the back when you least yeah. expect it. Not not the act of what happened, but the way that it went down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our friend Ray and, and Jacob chimed in. A couple of times of course these things happen all the time we've never in the history of this sport as shady as it's been throughout years seen it go down like this yeah. and um for somebody who always knew my name who always made a point to say hello who acted in that moment no matter who you were like you were the most important person in the room until it was time to go you know to, to somebody that actually mattered I, I had just heard a lot of things about working for CDC and working with CDC and kind of just brushed him off and no, this man's the greatest thing to ever happen to TCU. And, and in a lot of ways he was, but I can still be a little bit, feel a little bit hurt and let down um, that he got us here. And then he's going to be the one that helps instigate us losing this opportunity. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I agreed with everything you wrote. I've, I've felt similar feelings and you're also right. Like he's got to do his job. And he is doing his job exceptionally yeah. well. Um, it sucks that it's at the, like this is a byproduct of that being on this side of it. Um, sure. But the reality is, is he's doing his job. He's doing it really, yeah. really, really, really. Yeah. Well. So I'm not. I'm not angry. Yeah. I'm just bitter. I and mean, that's fine. I, it may be a little jealous. But that's okay. Also, like, that's fine. okay for sure. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break. Hashtag ads. Got to get. Got to get paid. Someone gets paid from that. At least yeah. not. You know. Anyways. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about fall camp starting next week. All right. Hashtag ad is concluded. That's good. Got that out of the way. I hope Alyssa. it wasn't ESPN ad. Uh, God, that would be so great, wouldn't it? Um, but, Melissa, in spite of all the conference realignment stuff, you said it earlier, the Big 12 is still going to be playing football this fall in its current state. And TCU's fall camp starts on August 2nd. Means football is getting ready to rock. We have a lot of promise, I think, heading into the 2021 season. A lot of reasons to be hopeful. Still, some pretty big questions, though, and some new faces that everybody's going to want to keep an eye on. Uh, so let's jump right into it. What is your biggest question that is facing the 2021 TCU football team? First of all, I have to say, huge, huge, huge Max Duggan stan. Huge homer. Love the kid. Love his family. Love everything about him. Um, want him to be the most successful quarterback in TCU history, without a doubt, right? Um, For the last three years, we have heard, well, Max hasn't had a full offseason. Well, Max hasn't had a full opportunity. Well, Max missed all this time or all this time was taken away or he hasn't gone through the full program. He's gone through the full program this year. And so um, there's always going to be a million excuses. We're still not in a normal year. I mean, far from it, but Max Duggan has had a full spring. He has had a full summer and he has had a, he will, God willing that, you know, he's healthy. He has a full fall ahead of him. 
what is that going to mean for TCU's quarterback come, you know, September 4th? Are we going to see the the chemistry with the wide receivers? Are we going to see the increased um, completion percentage? Are we going to see a quarterback who can play with the elite quarterbacks in the Big 12 Conference? Um, everybody says that he's kind of been a bum and his national perception as a thrower is not great. And he's had other broadcasters and other coaches and, and other you know former players talk about the fact that he just isn't that good. Mm-hmm. So this is his kind of his prove it moment. And I do 100% think he's going to be outstanding this year, but um, having gone through everything that he's never gotten to do before, can he turn the corner and be an elite passer in a conference where you have to have an elite passer to be successful? Uh, I think that's a great thing that we're, we're going to get answered this fall, excuse me. And, and he mentioned a little bit too at Big 12 Media Days that he knows about his national perception. Yeah. He knows that he needs to be better throwing the football. He's worked on that this offseason, he said. Uh, and, and he did mention too that this is the first time he's been able to fully go through his spring practice and, and do all of the summer workout stuff. And now he's heading into fall camp completely healthy and officially, un- unequivocally, the number one dude. Yeah. And, and so this is the first time, truly, that he has had that opportunity. And I agree. I think he's going to ball out. I think he's going to be extraordinarily successful. My question is related to your question, though, insofar as the five guys that stand in front of him and keep other people from hitting him really hard goes. How good is this offensive line going to be this year? You have Obina, Ezzy, Easy, Ezzy, Easy, the transfer from Memphis, who is a Remington uh, trophy watch list guy who's going to be one of your tackles. Andrew Coker, the other tackle. Steve Avila uh, is probably going to show out and be maybe a top five, top ten center in the country this year. You're very excited about that. Patterson mentioned this at Big 12 Media Days. They feel really good about center and tackles. The questions lie at the guard mm-hmm. position. Who is going to step up and really kind of bring that whole stew to where it needs to be so that everybody's on the same page? Part of what we saw in 2020, and yes, COVID year somewhat doesn't count, all that stuff. Part of what we noticed in 2020 was injuries started to really decimate that line, and nobody really stepped up and showed out, especially at the guard mm-hmm. position. Tackle was pretty rough, too. Coker was was he, Coker struggled last year. Um, but nobody really stepped up and showed out at the guard position, and a lot of guys got hurt. So there are, I think more than any other position group on this football team right now, the offensive line is a big question mark. And so we're curious to see how some guys step up. Is it Wes Harris? Is it, you know, someone else? I don't have the roster in front of me. But just wh- where's this offensive line going to end up as far as quality is concerned? Yes. And I think that's going to have a huge impact on Max. You know, you could tell in the back half of last year, the guy was tired of getting hit. And so he was making one read, and he was tucking the ball and running it. Uh, he was trying to get the ball out of his hands as fast as possible. He was he was a little bit skittish. He had some happy feet. All of that is a result of not trusting your offensive line. So that relationship between O-line and quarterback is going to be so significant in 2021. And it really does start with those five guys that are lining up with their hand to the ground. I'll tell you this much. If Max Duggan is a leading rusher for TCU again, we're maybe a six-win team. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Zach Evans should be a thousand yard rusher this year. Oh, it, with, he's, without a doubt. Without yeah, a doubt. with Darwin ba- Barlow off to USC. Like, listen, all respect to Mari Demarcado. I'm super excited about Kendra Miller. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's got a super bright future. I'm hoping Demarco Foster comes back healthy. But Zach Evans needs to touch the ball 16 times a game. Period. 
he maybe is, more. He is in the sports world what people call a dude. Yeah. He is a yeah. dude. We saw glimpses of his dudeness last year as a true freshman in a COVID year. This year needs to be the year where he's a thousand yard rusher. He's getting, I would say, twenty touches a game. Give him, yeah. fif- give him fifteen carries and throw the ball at him five times. Yeah, yeah, twenty targets, twenty targets 20, a game, twenty touches a game. Yeah, right. Like let's just, yeah. let's just play to our strength. Let yeah. Quentin Johnson get the ball on the outside a little bit. Let um, Darius Davis and a couple of these other guys get going as well. Yeah, Tay Barber. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the national perception, the negative recruiting against TCU right now is that um, they don't. That they spread the ball around just for the sake of spreading the ball around and they don't target their hot hand and you have a five-star running back and you have a stable of wide receivers that can get open and get the ball in ways that not everybody can find the dude that's open find the hot hand give him the ball and get out of the way like yeah. Doug Meacham just keep it simple bro just keep it simple and and let things happen and, and let's 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 just let's just, just ride the hot hand and go no jet sweeps on third and two. Oh. D- Give Zach the ball and say fall double reverse. Don't do it. We're not going to see Shea Wolana Lua throw a pass on third and four. We're not going to do it this year. Third and one, fourth and one. We're not going to do fourth it this and year. One. Whatever. I partially well, we blocked yeah. it out. Yeah. Partially blocked it out. Yeah, we're not going to um, see it because he's not here. But you know, other reasons too. True, other reasons as well. But uh, there are a lot of new faces, a lot of old faces that maybe have expanded roles. Guys coming back from injury this year on both sides of the ball. Melissa, what? Give me two names of players that you're excited to see uh, in fall camp and beyond this season. So, first of all, all respect to friend of Frogs of War, Carter Ware. Love the dude. Love him. Mm-hmm. Super active on Twitter. Great guy. Um, but I want to see Dondre, DJ Rogers, DeAndre Rogers, uh, yeah. the tight end, come in. Who is a former? He's out of Washington. Former Cal Berkeley commit um, is still a freshman. I think somehow COVID, whatever. Um, this dude is a freak at the tight end position. Um, kind of in the mold of a pro Wells, but maybe mm. not quite as raw coming to campus. Um, I think we all got really frustrated with how the lack of using pro Wells throughout the field, and I'm hoping that with with Rogers that that problem's alleviated. And um, this is a legit receiving tight end who you don't have to take off the field for blocking purposes either. So I think he's he's multifaceted, multidimensional. He does a lot of things really, really well, and I'm excited to see if he can kind of be the first really good TCU tight end, like week to week pro pro Wells was awesome. Artavius Lund was great, not their fault, but the first guy that we used reliably since the Shovels um, were, were in the early two thousands. Um, I think that would be, it would be awesome to have a, a dangerous tight end that teams had to account for offensively outside of just the red zone. Um, so he's my number one. I can't wait to see this kid work. I mean, he's older freshman too. So I think he's a, I think he's a guy who has a chance to start game one. Um, and then the other one is, is a, a kid that's been around for a little while and is kind of waiting for his breakthrough. I think he's a, a sophomore this year, redshirt freshman. I'm not sure. Uh, is Bud Elliott. So he was a four-star safety out of Louisiana. Uh, he's a kid that looks like a legit college safety. And we know that TCU's got to fill two really, really big holes in the mm-hmm. defensive backfield. Um, Elliot certainly looks the You mean, you mean Bud Clark? You mean Bud Clark? But, oh, right. sorry. Sorry, Bud Clark. I'm yeah. thinking of the recruiting expert from Florida. Uh, so anyways, Bud, Bud Clark. Thank you. Yeah, I wrote that down wrong because I was reading Twitter all day. That's all good. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm super pumped about Bud Clark. He's going to have a battle. There's no guarantee that he starts. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's guaranteed to be on the, the two deep, but 
You've got LeKendrick Van Zant, who is either a 15-yard penalty or an interception every time he's on the field, and I love him for it. Uh, you've got Josh Foster, who I think really stepped up at the end of last season and was excellent. Nook Bradford, who's, who's arguably become one of the most reliable uh, safeties that, that TCU could put out there. I mean, Deshaun McQueen, I mean, there are a lot of dudes who are really, really good back there. But I think Bud Clark is the guy that I hope wins the battle because yeah. I think he has the highest ceiling of anybody that we can put out there right now. You know, he's, we've also got another Memphis transfer, TJ Carter, yeah. coming in yeah. and, and making the move from, from cornerback to safety as well. He's going to be another name to watch at the mm-hmm. safety position. Absolutely. I think, the, I think the moral of this story is that, once again, TCU is not lacking when it comes to talent uh, in the defensive. three guys in the, in the far back of the defensive. So unit. so I think I think you have another guy uh, in the defensive backfield, too, that, that you're pretty excited to see. I have and been... he's, speaking of active on social media. <laughs> Look, we're going we're gonna to set that aside for just a few moments, and we're going to talk about Noah Daniels in a good, bright light, because that's, this kid... I will say I have been a stan of his. I have I've been in his corner since he stepped on the campus. You can vouch for me on this. I have said for three years that Noah Daniels is the best corner is going to be the best cornerback on this football team. And I will say right now for you, the Frogs of War listener, and for you, Melissa Trebowasser, that when he is healthy, he is still the best cornerback on this football team. That is yeah. no slight to Trey Tomlinson. That is no slight to Keontae Stewart. That is no slight to any other defensive back. TCU is absolutely stacked at defensive back. Noah Daniels is the best corner on this team when he is completely healthy. It is not a debate in my mind. And I know that pro football focus loves Trey Tomlinson. I love Trey Tomlinson too. He is phenomenal. He's a top five corner in the country. Noah Daniels is as well. And so my hope is that Noah puts his phone down, stays (laughs) off Twitter, He's got his NIL signed with, uh, who is it, Rosenfeld? Yeah, Rosenfeld. Not like uh, not the Rosenthal, but like the other Rosenthal. So, yeah, you know, he's he's got his NIL deal in place, so he's going to make some money. Uh, good for him. Shout out to him. Get healthy. Remem- remind everyone that you are one of the best cornerbacks in the league is my, is my hope for, for Noah Daniels this year. Because if he does yeah. that, TCU now is becoming the DBU defensive yeah. back university they've been putting guys into the league with consistency and he could be the next first round pick from tcu well, if he shows out this year well, and he's got the size like that's like mm-hmm. trey tomlinson's a ridiculously good cornerback he's a ridiculously yeah. athlete but when you look over at noah like he's six foot plus he's 200 plus like yeah. that dude's gonna play on sundays but yeah. availability is the most important av- ability mm-hmm. and, and i really do hope he's healthy and that, that he can sit there and talk to all his haters that he's you know, manufactured for himself this off season, um, all season long. Cause, cause yeah. if he's healthy and on the field, TCU is an elite defensive unit again, mm-hmm. without a question. Yes. The next guy that I want to talk about on the offensive side of the ball is someone who I've been told recently, he is the fastest guy in the wide receivers room for TCU. That's saying something. He's the fastest guy in, in the wide receivers room for TCU. It is not Quentin Johnson. It is not Darius Davis. It is not Tay Barber. It is not Spillman. It is freshman Quincy Brown from Louisiana, standing at six foot four, about 180, 185 pounds. That might be he generous. Is, <laughs> he's rail thin. But that aside, uh, the reports are that this kid is 
as legit, if not more legit, than Quentin Johnson was when he stepped on campus as a true freshman. And so the threat is real that TCU might, for the first time since Colby Lissenby and Josh Doxson, have two legitimate outside receiving deep threats at the same time. Staggering. Of an appropriate height to which we could throw an end zone fade. We still shouldn't. But at least we're not throwing it to someone who's 5'10 anymore. We'll be throwing it to two guys who are 6'4". Quincy Brown is a name to watch. I think that he's going to break through. And when you talk about him and Quentin and Savion Williams, you are really starting to stack up talent at wide receiver for the first time in a long time. Well, what I like about the band they call Sticks is that he's a year older. So he's mm-hmm. like uh, Rogers in that sense too, because he, 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 he took went a year back to high school yeah. or he, saw, uh, yeah, he did a, like a prep school thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have the mileage on him though. So he didn't really play. So um, uh-huh. he's got, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like if highlight films translate, his highlight film is, is some of the best I've ever seen. So he's yeah. got the hands, he's got the speed. Can he hold up? I don't know, but we just saw a, a wide receiver that weighs 112 pounds win the Heisman. So Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, but yeah, it's it's again like you know this. All four of these things that we've talked about are our players to watch, our offensive line, our Max Duggan accuracy. All four of these things combined, we're looking at a, at a pretty damn good offense, and and even a competent offense at this point would feel really really good. I agree. I totally agree. We are going to get into football a little bit more next week when we have some stuff to talk about from practice and and some reports on guys being healthy and not healthy and everything else, we're going to do a more positional group breakdown for you guys next week on the podcast. We're going to kind of start to wrap up though tonight and take some more Twitter questions and some Facebook questions and get into those a little bit as well. So Melissa, we'll start with some Twitter questions here. I'm scrolling back through. We got quite a few. Um, today because it was an eventful day Hmm. let's see here we'll start with bill casey b casey 55 on twitter when the big question when the big 12 dissolves does that mean that espn doesn't have to pay the buyout for the longhorn network that would be motive to help the aac recruit and move ut and ou to the sec so they have to pay espn has to pay the longhorn networks buyout regardless Mm -hmm. 160 million dollars is going to go from ESPN to Texas's bank account, uh, regardless of anything else that happens, as long as Texas is leaving the Big 12. So that is the answer to that question. The question is now, will Texas use that $160 million to leave the Big 12, or will they just get to pocket it because the e- because ESPN has sabotaged the rest of the conference? That is we'll find out. TBD. Uh, one of our favorite people on the planet, Great Davies Ghost, Ace Gagnon, asks assuming baylor and tcu go their separate ways can both sides agree that the rivalry is one worth renewing each year i mean i think right now (laughs) you're seeing these two schools grabbing each other for dear life um i would hope so i I don't really care if we ever play texas again ever screw them i'm over it um i i really do hope that that maybe you know if we go to the aac maybe uh maybe baylor replaces smu or something annually Mm -hmm. but I, i do hope that that rivalry i think and i think it's in a really good place yeah. And that it's, you know, both teams are have been equally as kind of eh, the last couple of years, but there's a lot of mutual respect between the two schools that hasn't existed, um, that didn't exist when, when a certain football coach was there. So I hope yeah. so. 
I agree. I agree. He also asked, how soon can Oklahoma and Texas write their checks and go TFOA? Uh, as long as they're paying a buyout, the earliest yeah. they can leave is 2023. Uh, if the conference dissolves before that, it dissolves before that. And then it's, they're free it's 2023? Really? June 30th, 2023 would be as early okay. as they'd be able to leave the conference if they're, okay. if they're paying the buyout and everyone else is staying. Unless the, the conference votes to Right. On the only way that they okay. could get out before that is, is, is if the conference dissolves. Interesting. So that would be everybody else figuring out another plan somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, J.M. Schaefer with a really interesting question. Uh, he asks, if ESPN is indeed acting on the AAC's behalf, what are the chances that Fox is doing the same for the Pac-12? It's in their best interest for the Pac to go to Super Conference as well since they own their rights. I, I mean, we've seen how, how low ESPN will stoop. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some work that Fox was doing in the background to try and bolster their own their own uh, conference revenue as well. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me about this. We know that the SEC, without, you can say there's some good schools there or whatever. Without a doubt, they're motivated by football revenue, period. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 especially are still holding on to this illusion of academics matter, too. The Big Ten has been very clear that they're only interested in adding AAU schools, if anybody. The Pac-12 keeps talking about their standards while Arizona State still is a thing. Um, But that's going to be interesting to me because the SEC will let anyone pull their strings if it means more dollars in their pockets. Fine. That's I mean, that's who they are. That's their brand. But the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are still kind of trying to tout their academics matter. And so will they be more willing to be manipulated for the sake of dollars if it means, uh, you know, that, that they can they can float their conference a little bit longer, but maybe have to sacrifice some of their quote unquote ideals with their their standards yeah i agree um a couple people are asking best and worst case scenario for tcu conference realignment wise i think best is pac-12 i think worst is aac at this point that's yeah really the only only two choices frankly i think yeah it won't Um, be worse than that yeah Uh, and let's be honest folks the big 10 isn't happening we're not going to go over that again and the aac isn't or the acc isn't happening let me let me throw out one other worst case scenario Mm mm-hmm the zombie 18 big 12 season that is the season that concerns me like the 2023 potential zombie Mm -hmm. 18 league big 12 season that to me would be the absolute worst case because it only takes one year to completely totally destroy everything you've built and and that would be what that that year would be yeah it'd be pretty terrifying absolutely um here's a a good spin on that question though of, of regarding where tcu ends up Sugary dude, sorry, surgery dude. I can read. Surgery <laughs> dude uh, asks if TCU ends up in the equivalent of the Mountain West or even the AAC, do we see a bump in players going into the transfer portal? That's a good question. Well, so here, I was on, I was on with Wide Right Natty Light last night. John Lands is a part of that team, and if y'all don't know who that is or if you have heard that name before but you're not quite sure where you can place it that is the iowa statewide receiver who scored three touchdowns against tcu in trevon boykin's first ever collegiate start at quarterback um and so we we were asked a similar question and he addressed it and i thought he he did a really good job he said once you're on campus and it doesn't really matter who you're playing against it's more about the fit and the culture of the program that you're in. So if you're comfortable and you fit into that program, the likelihood is, especially with football, that you're probably going to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball, I could see being similar to football. Basketball, I think we've witnessed this year, is a total free-for-all no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we would see a lot of transfers if TCU 
was to go down a rung in conference uh, prestige, especially from the basketball team. Um, I don't know that we would necessarily see the same in football and other sports. Yeah, well, here's the other thing, too, is that if you're talking about kids transferring, you have to have somewhere to go. And if you take eight teams that drop down a level, you really think that that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be chasing hard after after these other castoffs when they're in the SEC and they're recruiting more five and four star talent than they ever have and they already recruit a ton. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be interested in. T- they may fill some gaps, but there's if there are only four power autonomy conferences remaining at the end of this, there's only so many spots to go around. And this is where it's going to be super important for TCU to continue to educate and give opportunities for their students in the NIL. It is way more valuable to play for a group of five team and be on the field than it is to be the third string guy at Alabama or Clemson or Oklahoma mm-hmm. or wherever else. And so yeah. if TCU can continue to develop programs and opportunities for their student athletes to capitalize on the NIL, kids aren't going to leave if they know they're going to play, especially with an expanded playoff scenario where 12 teams are making it. There's going to be, I mean, maybe only one group of five team that makes it, which is what's really concerning. Um, but there'll be opportunities to play in big time bowls and on the national stage. You need to be on the field, not necessarily. It matters more that you're on the field than it matters who you're on the field for. Now, if you're the starting quarterback at Alabama, we've already seen you're a millionaire. Turns but out. or or apparently the starting quarterback at South Lake, uh, Carroll South Lake. So, um, but that that's going to be it. But you got to go somewhere else. And if there's only 30, 40 teams that have this Power Five status, where I mean, where are you going to go? Yeah, that's a fair question. That, yeah, that's good an question. absolutely fair question. And, and But thank you for throwing that out. I think that was something good to, to kind of Yes, yeah, great question. Uh, absolutely. Tyler, Tyler Araki on Facebook asks, I can see TCU having a strong season this year. Would a conference championship help our future conference movement prospects? I think we've seen at this point that on-field performance plays a, a pretty small role in invitation to other things, as evidenced by Texas being ass water and mediocre as hell for the last decade yes ass water it's a texas thing okay and a swamp ass what 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 is the product what is swamp ass ass water thank you okay cool thank you texas is ass water you heard it here first so no i don't know that it would necessarily help our future conference movement prospects it wouldn't hurt yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like when you walk into a building for the first time, you notice if the building is run down or if it's extraordinarily nice. Mm-hmm. But if everything kind of just functions as it should and it, you know, it just is what it is, you don't really notice. Um, and if you have to keep yeah. going back to that building, it's not really going to make that much of a difference whether it's mm-hmm. run down or really nice. So True. yeah, I think, I think that, that it's, it, it's important for TCU to put out a good product on the field. It's not going to hurt their cause, but winning a championship isn't going to have the Pac-12 call in any faster. Yeah. Buck Elliott, who, uh, shout out to Buck. He is uh, a great human being. He asks, do you think conference dissolvement will influence Gary Patterson's timeline for retirement? It could. This this is one of my big concerns. Yeah. His contract ends when the grants of rights do, and not having your Hall of Fame football coach for that is single-handedly carried a program up from the depths of hell into national relevancy inked past that. Like honestly, 
the the silver lining to all this going down the way that it did is that maybe TCU finds a home before Gary is ready to retire. Because I think we all know and believe that Gary does not want to extend his contract again. I think we also all know and believe that he will if he thinks he has to to get TCU a better landing spot. And then he'll just retire once the once the deed is signed. I don't see Gary Patterson coaching TCU football in 2025. Yeah. I don't want to think about it quite yet. Yeah. I know we've all had our frustrations with him the past couple of years. But. Uh, but. <laughs> I don't want to think about him not being here quite yet. <clears throat> I do Dar- want to think about him, though, putting all this shit on the bulletin board at the locker room mm-hmm. with Texas and OU. He's just going to, instead of a playbook this year, he's just going to print off that bullshit article from Burn Orange Nation. Yeah, thanks, Put West it Scott. in everybody's binders and just hand it to him. Yeah. I, like I am saying, there's nothing that makes me happier than, than Gary Patterson with an extra large chip on his shoulder, and this is the biggest damn chip we've had in a long time. It's true. In a decade. Final question of the evening before we get out of here. Derek Hames asks, any rumblings, in, any rumblings inside TCU about marketing themselves to the Pac-12? We know, we're, we know at this point that TCU and the Pac-12 have spoken. Um, that is as close to fact as you can get mm-hmm. the I mean TCU is in the same kind of boat as every other school including Texas and Oklahoma at this point where if you get too far down that road where is the line for breaking the kind of bylaws of the conference and so yeah. you're allowed to have conversations uh, but the process has to happen above board we're pretty sure it didn't happen with Texas and Oklahoma. Um, Texas and Oklahoma aren't going to get punished for that. A school like TCU will. Yeah. So they got to be 100%. careful. But yes, they have they have reached out to the Pac-12. Uh, those conversations have at least at the, have had you know very very early very beginning stage conversations about what that could even possibly look like. So. Hey, we already have some Pac-12 teams on the schedule, so it'd be easy sure transition. We sure do. We sure do. Maybe we should lose to Cal this year as like a peace offering. There you and, go. And say now let us also, but let's let's not lose to Cal. Let's, no, I want to kick. We need ass. that. We need that dub. Yeah. We need we need to beat them by more than we beat them in the the cheese it bowl. God rest its the soul. The greatest bowl of all time. Greatest bowl game of all, all time. time. Better than the Rose Bowl. You can't talk me out of it. This has been the Frogs of War podcast with Jamie and Melissa. Thank you for hanging in there with us. Thank you for listening. If you would be so kind as to leave a review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts, we would really appreciate that. And please be sure to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and of course at frogswar.com where you can read all of the wonderful content that our staff puts together every single week. We have been covering head to toe conference realignment, but we have also been covering head to toe 2020 football previews. Ryan has 2021. done 2021 football previews. Ryan has done a tremendous job. And writing, Russell. And Russell have been doing tremendous jobs of writing all of those previews. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to go read those. We'll have okay. much more content in the coming weeks as and, well. And can I just say, it has been like the bad part about realignment is realignment. The awesome part has been seeing so many familiar faces and new faces on the site, yes. in the comments. We've had great discourse and discussion. Um, I have loved seeing the community rocking and rolling over mm-hmm. the last week, and I hope that we carry this momentum into the season and TC win some games so we can keep having a, a really good time over there at Frogs of War. It makes it a hell of a lot more fun for Jamie and I, I can tell you that much. It's true. We like company, so this has been good. That'll do it, though, for this episode of the Frogs of War podcast. Thanks for listening. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.
Go Frogs!